Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive and industrial manufacturing industries and supporting ecosystems, and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to help make the world a better place, it's time to run and drive. Yes, we talk about mobility and automotive here. Drive with the game changers. And this, we know, is where the best run. Welcome to season six of one of our longest running game changers series. So happy to be here. And I have two of my favorite people in automotive and manufacturing here. And if you're on, you're going to be seeing the video eventually. I have Tom Madonna from SAP and Kerry Brown from SAP. But I want to start off with a quote. I found a quote on autonews.com. That's A-U-T-O news from Carla Bio, B-A-I-L-O, Bilo, CEO of the Center for Automotive Research in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Listen up. There's an interesting quote and it'll set us up and I'll tell you a little more about our topic. So she said, diversity, inclusion, and equality. And I've heard them in different, different orders, diversity, equality, and inclusion were on the minds of many auto industry leaders last year, but there is still much work to do. The entire industry must foster a more diverse workforce. It's an issue the industry executive has been promoting for years. And here's the part I love from her quote. If I could wave a magic wand and entice young girls and diverse ethnicities to come racing to automotive and mobility because it is so very exciting and sexy – I do it tomorrow. We all need to work together as an industry to make this dream come true. Thank you, Carla. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about our topic, which is a little broader than that global pandemic. Come on, you're all part of the world. You know what's going on. A generational transition in the workforce and resulting talent shortage may be a shock to some of you to hear that. The arrival of next-gen mobility, you've been hearing about that in the news, and new emerging competitors, sometimes from places you never expected. Yes, these are major disruptions and long-term trends, and they are fundamentally reshaping the way work gets done in manufacturing, and because of the title of this series, that, of course, includes automotive companies. These trends, these disruptions are impacting capabilities, processes, objectives, and systems that enable, here's the new buzzword, kids, positive employee experiences, employee experiences. Companies need to care how their employees go to work, get to work, experience work, contribute, feel engaged. How can employers, number one, ensure their workers' safety, that's pandemic issue, while investing meaningfully in talent to ensure the skills are current? and moving forward, and that the companies can tackle challenges, including high-tech mobility. That's a lot to get our arms around, and that's why we're going to ask Tom Madonna and Carrie Brown for their take on our topic, our season six debut topic, Thriving in a Changed World, the Manufacturing Workforce. I'm so happy to be here with both of you. Carrie Brown and I have been working on radio. She's been a guest many times, but we've never seen each other, and here we are in hopefully post-COVID almost, Carrie, and we're on Zoom. And Tom, I have seen you so many times on so many shows last year in 2020. Sometimes I think you're going to be a co-host, but don't, don't, don't get ahead of me on that one. So let's go with bios. Just in case, Tom, there's one person in the world who, shame on them, doesn't remember who you are after so many times you've been on radio with me. Why don't you refresh their memory, tell them who you are, what you do, and what's your passion, Tom. What, what's your overview take on this concept of the manufacturing workforce in a changed world? Tom Madonna, welcome. Good morning, Bonnie, and welcome to all the listeners. 
Thank you. Uh, Tom Donnan, Industry Executive Advisor uh, in Automotive. And uh, what does that mean? It's a big, long title. Uh, but ultimately, I'm the customer advocate uh, between our customers and our organization. So trying to make them successful uh, by allowing their voice to be heard internal, as well as taking their requirements and their problem statements and, and trying to get the best out of SAP to, to handle those. As we uh, move into this uh, new, exciting new normal, um, I think the, the passion here is there are some realities we're going to have to deal with. And we'll get to my quote in a little bit, but uh, I took that and, and, and basically said, you know, where do we sit today? Where do we need to be tomorrow? And, and what's that going to mean in regards to uh, employee experience as well as new management, new leadership, and, and what they need to do in the industry? Thank you, Tom. Welcome. So always happy to have you. By the way, Tom has been a frequent guest on one of my other series. It's called Automotive Insiders, and it's presented by OESA, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. And Tom is often on one. We have one-on-ones, and he's part of panel discussions often with Bill Newman at SAP. So happy to see you, Tom. Kerry Brown, my goodness gracious, we should have been on Zoom years ago so we could say hi in person. Kerry, let's get you to share your bio, please, with our listeners and people who see the video eventually will be our viewers. And what have you been up to? Let's just pretend you haven't been on the series ever before and let's go fresh. Welcoming a newcomer to Game Changers Radio, Carrie Ann Brown. Carrie, go for it. Thank you, Bonnie. And thank you, Tom. Really lovely to be here again. So my role, I spend my time like Tom talking to customers of SAP and my focus is around people. So the future of work and the topic of how jobs change is the central aspect of that dialogue. Really my litmus test is how does somebody's job change? When you look at all the things you just talked about, it's understanding how does an organization navigate through transformation and change for whatever reasons that they are embarking upon that. My role uh, is for all of our customers across North America in that basis. And then recently I took on some internal change uh, roles to look at how we can better serve our customers globally. So that's what I do in my day job. In terms of your question around what do I think, uh, you know, where do I think this is headed? Interestingly, the last time I was in person with people was with Carla. My last business trip in 2020 was, uh, was with Carla at uh, a conference for the manufacturing and specifically the mobility industry. So I miss her. It was nice to see her in person. And actually during 2020, during COVID, I was sharing with you earlier that I did some uh, interviews with customers and Terry Von Lemden, who is a senior uh, HR individual at Toyota, was actually one of those folks. So looking at diversity and inclusion was top of mind for us as well. As I look at this entire space, you're absolutely right that the requirement to have different talent that is not only emerging talent and diverse talent, but understand that talent's going to have more fluidity because the average tenure of an employee now sits around 3.8 years. And then that takes us really to that experience conversation you had of, Mm -hmm. well, how do we get the most from and for our people while they're working with us? And it's interesting when you look at the business roundtable, which I expect you know, but your your listeners might not, is a group of 200 CEOs who advise the president. Many of them are for global nations, global corporations, so they're not necessarily just domestically focused. They changed the definition of what a business was to focus on. And in 2019, they shifted from being just about profits for the last 20 years to being about both the consumer and the employee. So really, I think corporations are thinking about how do they how do they connect with people and in particular in 2020, be more empathetic and aware of what people need. 
Thank you very much, Carrie. Appreciate that. And thank you for the reference to Carla. How do you pronounce her last name? I want to get it right. Tom, I'll turn it over to you because you get to say it more often than I do. <laughs> Bardo. Bardo. Thank you very much. I wasn't sure. I didn't, didn't want to mess that up. I appreciate that. Thank you both for your introductions. Now is the part of the show where I've asked my guest in advance to send me a movie or a song quote. And we're actually branching into TV quotes because people have started to quote TV shows, which is interesting. I never thought of that. We're looking for cultural references in a quote that has absolutely nothing to do with our topic, but it does. And that's a surprise. We're going to hear Tom and Carrie explain how their quotes fit the topic in their own words. And there's a little magic in there, I'm sure. So Tom Madonna has sent us a quote from one of Jack Nicholson's iconic characters, Colonel Nathan R. Jessup in A Few Good Men, a 1992 legal and trial drama. I watched the three second clip. It's five words. I love it, Tom, because this applies to almost anything we talk about on Game Changers Radio. And the quote is, you can't handle the truth. Oh, my. Tom, how'd you find this one? And what does it have to do with our topic? Go ahead. It's actually uh, uh, one of my favorite movies. Um, I would say it's probably in the top 20. Um, it's, a, it's a very interesting interchange between um, a lower ranking individual and a higher ranking individual talking about getting to the truth and getting to something that quote, quote is deserved. And I, I apply it to this particular topic because of exactly your opening comment. And that is where we need to go versus where we're at. You know, you can't handle the truth. The truth is at this point in time is manufacturing in general over the last several years has become dull. It's become mm-hmm. trivial. It's become non-sexy. Uh, and you start looking at the technology and you start looking at where people are going and what people are doing and they're, they're flocking to the, the West Coast. Uh, they want to be involved with, uh, with the new trends and the new technology going and manufacturing is now catching up. And so part of the reason I brought the quote up is you can't handle the truth. And, then, and part of this goes into is because, and he goes into a conversation in regards to, you know, what's entitlement, uh, what you deserve, and, and then finally breaks down and, and then quote, quote, gets arrested uh, for saying, yes, I did order the code red. And I think at this point in time, manufacturing is definitely amber. They, they're, it's not red yet, but definitely amber. And I think the reason for that is that up until last year, manufacturing had always been the big uh, bohemoth on the block. And it was always a situation where you're going to come to work for me because I'm that, not because uh, I care about what you're doing or I care about how you're going to be empowered. And those things are new to manufacturing. It's always been a, a top-down execution model as compared to uh, bringing that diversity, bringing those things together. So the reason for the quote is just that, you know, can we handle the truth? And, and what is that truth going to be? And then how do we have to basically stand a post and actually present that truth forward? Tom, I don't know if people can handle the truth you started out when you were explaining the quote, trivial and dull. And <laughs> I have never, this may be true confessions with Game Changers today. I've never heard anybody say that about manufacturing. As a matter of fact, in, in past years, we've had guests on the show who've said that, for example, talking more in the terms of manufacturing industry 4.0 or industry pre 4.0, people saying, yeah, my kid's going to get a factory job and he's so excited because he gets to have an eye 
iPad as part of his tools of the job, and he's getting to run things remotely on the shop floor, and he's controlling things, and this is a really sexy job now. That's what I've heard. So, wow, I don't know if we can handle the true stuff. <laughs> Thank you. And by the way, here's a little piece of trivia about the movie. Do you know that the movie cost $40 million to make? Okay, this is 1992. The box office gross was $243 million. Six times, 600% on the box office compared to the expense. $40 million was probably not a lot of money for a movie, at least in today's terms. I don't know, it's probably just barely paying for one actor. We'll leave that one on the table. Thank you very much. Carrie Brown has sent us a quote, a wonderful quote also from Coldplay. And the song is Viva La Vida, Spanish for Long Live Life. Song by British rock band Coldplay, written by all members of the band for their fourth album, Viva La Vida, uh, or Death and All His Friends in 2008. The lyrics contain historical and Christian references, and the track is built around a looping string section. Did you know this, Carrie? In unison unison with a digital process, piano and other layers gradually added as the song builds. And it has taken the title from a painting by 20th century Mexican artist Frida Kahlo. That I thought was very interesting. Yes. Expression to acclaim someone or something. Okay, we'll leave that alone. Here is the quote Carrie has selected from Coldplay's Viva La Vida. That's a tongue twister. I got to get the Viva and the Vida not mixed up there. One minute I held the key. Next, the walls were closed on me. And I discovered that my castles stand upon pillars of salt and pillars of sand. I hope I did that okay, Carrie. <laughs> it's beautiful. Carrie, how'd you find this one and what does it mean? It's one of my favorite songs. And when you asked, you know, where, what, what inspires me as I think about the future of work and manufacturing and mobility, that song to me also reminds me of a book, Pillars of the Earth. And the reason they both connect with me on this topic is they represent somebody who had all the power and then it disappeared. So when you look at the story of that song, you look at the story of Pillars of the Earth, you're looking at people who had power, not, not, un, you know, not undissimilar to Tom's description of, you know, manufacturing was the, the, the big kid on the block. We're seeing such dramatic changes and things that people have taken for granted or just truths that are now being pulled into question around how will jobs be, how will work be, how will processes happen, we're changing the the power base and we're changing the roles and the processes and the way that work gets done. And I think that is unsettling. Uh, and that, if I look at this song, starts to think about, you know, people who used to have all the power don't. And what I do love when you actually pull, pull it back to the, the Pillars of the Earth book, that book to me, one of the, you know, the, the underdog who comes through is the cathedral builder and the the basic person who's doing the smallest things ends up really adjusting the power mix and i think we're going to see like we've seen upstarts in this industry change things around it might see different places where different people can play different roles and really have a better outcome for everybody interesting thank you very much carrie and i appreciate so much you're introducing me to the song the lyric is just beautiful and a little bit reminds me of the implications of Tom's quote as well. Pillars of, yeah, pillars of sand. What's happening? Do we really know where we are? (laughs) Hell no. We're hoping, we're hoping we do. It's, it's indicative of, yes, I know. I know. When I say happy new year to people, I say happy new year, dot, dot, dot. I hope 
That's all I say. I hope. And everybody's saying this is, we're waiting for the next normal, the new normal. I gave up on normal. Tom knows this. I call it the new reality. It is what it is day by day. We're experiencing a new reality. In a sense, we always have. But I'm waxing poetic here or philosophical. We are at the part of the show where we're going to dive very seriously into the topic. This is the roundtable. And Tom and Donna has sent me some statements. Eight. Carrie sent me just about as many. And we're going to bounce back and forth. I'll read a statement from Tom. We'll start with number one. Tom, I'll ask you to unpack it. Take two and a half minutes or so. I'm not clocking you, but keep it to the the short side. And then, Carrie, I'm going to ask you to agree or disagree with Tom's statement. And if you agree, just don't say I agree. We want your thought leadership as well. So add it. Don't don't kill the show. And then I'll pick one from Carrie and I'll send it to you in the notes before we go to that statement. So keep your eye on the chat and I'll read that one and ask you to explain that, expand it, unpack it. And then we'll have Tom say agree or disagree back to you and we'll bounce back and forth. At any point, we can just blow it up into a bigger conversation, which is fine. So let's get started. Statement number one from Tom and Donna, multiple generations in the workforce, in the workplace, will be reduced in the next few quarters, therefore affecting the skills and resources needed to run the business. Tom, I'm putting you in speaker view. Go ahead. So what I meant by this statement is, as you start to look at, you know, 19 um, and you look into 20, you see the changes with the, the pandemic, the changes with everything that's going on. Um, the, the workforce is, is, is starting to age. I mean, my gray hair at this point in time doesn't give it away. Um, you know, the effect at this point in time is that people are, are deciding that they may not return to work or, or they want to work remote. Um, as people decide that, uh, there's going to be a, a, a skill drain that's going to occur in manufacturing as well as other industries. Um, what really then next step needs to be applying is how do you basically take that skill, that information and transfer and what does that mean to the younger workforce? You know, as Carrie's point back on 3.8 years of, uh, of service, um, there's going to need to be a, a knowledge base that's going to basically main, mean they maintain by individuals working within the organizations. And that skill needs to basically be applied, reused, and, and, and done. There's, a, there's studies that say right now that we're going to go from five generations in the workforce to three. Um, that's interesting as we start to move towards what that means in the reality of, of executing and the reality of the technology skills needed. We're going to be doing manufacturing differently. So there's going to be an upskilling that goes along with there. So in general, part of uh, the, the, the new norm, uh, the new reality, mm-hmm. is uh, that knowledge is being left. And, and you start to think about things that can be done differently. For example, uh, you know, one, one conversation last fall, um, an organization basically went to two people uh, working 50% of the time, therefore an FTE drop of one, but the knowledge work was basically maintained within that organization based upon having still access to that person. But there's going to be a new way, a new, a new structure of gaining that, that knowledge, that learning skill execution, and then applying it. And, and the information that's going to stay within the organizations is imperative because you want that to, to continue. Um, it also means that there'll be move, move, move more movement in regards to it. You see this happening with uh, people leaving Tesla and going to other, you know, EV manufacturers. So how do you maintain that uh, creativity and, and learning and execution on engineering? So all of those things are, are new and important for those organizations to start to think about and start to react to. Thank you, Tom. Kerry, talk to us. 
100% agree. I'll add a few other points to that. So 2021 is, was expected to be the peak of the retirement of boomers. So we've seen the growth of the numbers of folks retiring. It was going to be 21,000 a day in mm. 2021. Whether or not that adjusts mm. based on how people fared through 2020 financially remains to be seen. But this was going to be the peak, which would absolutely lead to Tom's point of we're seeing traditionalists and boomers very quickly moving out of the workplace. And the percent of the workforce that they represent now is nearing about 10% and moving through. So when you look at where we were, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you could buy talent. So there was another person with the talent you needed in the marketplace. Where we are now, you have to build talent because there is a, you know, scarcity for sure in terms of the talent and the experience that we've had in the past in terms of knowledge, skills, capabilities, experience. So 100% agree with Tom. What I think is interesting is also then thinking about, you know, what is it that from an accessibility standpoint, from a future of work standpoint, that corporations can do to adjust to that. So Tom gave the example of a 50% worker. We actually at SAP have created what's called the Established Talent Program. About seven years ago, Mike Etling, when he was running Success Factors, I had the opportunity to host the analyst discussion at, at our event and our annual customer event. And he said, companies don't just need early talent programs, they need late talent programs. Mm. And initially, you know, late talent, not the best term. So experience, don't want to insult the experience of the earlier talent. But people who are looking at what do they do in the last 10 years of their career versus the first 10 years of their career. And we've seen in the last sort of seven or eight years, corporations look at building that talent and building new talent. I also think there's the opportunity, like the example Tom gave, of people working part-time or more structured mentoring or succession planning programs that can start to take advantage of having people step out and down versus just stepping away, um, which also fits with the trend that a lot of the, the later generations are choosing to step down from work versus out of work. So that's another opportunity to look at how to leave a legacy that might you know need to be need to have a footprint longer than than it would have otherwise. Fascinating. I have a question for either or both of you. Tom, I think you started out saying the workforce that we, we took it, I think, as a sign of pride that we've got five generations, five demographic cohorts working more or less side by side in the real workplace when people were all going to a job, right? Wow, look at this. We've got the boomers. They haven't gone away yet. We've got the real young ones coming in fresh out of MBA school or or trade school, whatever it is. And look at this. And you said, Tom, we're going to shrink it from five generations to three. So we know that uh, Kerry said, interesting, 21,000 boomers are retiring every day. I'm not going anywhere, by the way. I should have retired a few years ago. No, Tom and Kerry, who is the other generation that's going to go away? You said five to three. So if we minus the boomers, who's the other one? Traditionalists. They're, they're They're a generation beyond the boomers. So that's the traditionalists, boomers, Gen X, Gen Y and millennial are the same, Gen Z. Um, so we're seeing the traditionalists and the boomers move out. There's a handful of traditionalists left, um, depending on the industry. And then uh, boomers, certainly there's a strong presence still in many organizations, particularly in leadership. Very, very interesting. Well, look at government, but we won't say anything about that because we don't talk politics. Look at look at the generations there. Interesting. Tom, anything you want to say about which generation is going to peel off? You agree with Kerry? I do. I also think that you're starting to see some of the X, you know, starting to retire. You know, at this point in time, you're looking at some of the professional services 
organizations where 55 is early retirement, 60 is mandatory retirement. You know, it may not be in manufacturing, but you start to see other, you know, pieces that are, are moving into that puzzle and, and X is just around the corner. Wow. Thank you very much for clarifying that. I appreciate that. Carrie, I'm going to go to your statement number one. Let's go into a little more on the mobility side rather than the general workforce side. You say the patterns and expectations of mobility, and I want you to, to really level set on defining what we're talking about mobility. Is it the car? Is it the, the, the big anything that goes from place A to B? So the patterns and expectations of mobility have changed forever as a result of COVID, both business and leisure travel. So if you want to even expand that more, go ahead, Carrie. Sure. My, my, my definition of, of mobility really is transportation period. And I, I have watched as I have gotten exposure over years to the automotive industry, you know, is that from my home onto public transit, onto private transit or shared transit, I would take that even to airline transportation, frankly, when you look at mobility overall. We've changed all the rules in terms of of what is um, available and possible right now. What I think has shifted forever is, you know, we were were maturing into finding our way to the Jetsons, you know, where we would have Mm -hmm. shared transportation. We might be in meetings in shared carpool lanes in driverless vehicles and so forth. Well, now people are concerned about being in that driverless vehicle with five other people that they don't know. So the safety considerations for shared transportation, which were more about, do I feel safe with that person um, physically have moved to, you know, the physical aspect is not, am I safe from harm? That harm has moved into something more medical than just something in terms of would I be um, safe to be with that stranger. So to me, what's interesting is we've, we've created a degree of fear and uncertainty in a space which was new and the level of uncertainty about around when we can redefine that to feel safe and to feel secure is very unknown. So, you know, when I look at the pivot that many companies were taking to shift to being from an auto manufacturer to mobility provider. And that definition, you know, broadly in terms of, does that mean from home through to work, public, private, et cetera, Whereas, and there were others focused more directly on the EV space, where it's still my private, my private um, mode of transportation, it's just a different form of transportation. And so some of the um, directions that I think we we're all becoming familiar and comfortable with in shared transportation that looks at considering climate and carbon and all of those other elements are being challenged based on, well, do I need to go back to my own controllable environment that is mine to manage and mine to secure. So when I think about all of us and, you know, Uber and Lyft, which had completely disrupted the marketplace in terms of transportation Mm -hmm. or where I live, there's access to scooters and all of the other variations of bikes and so forth. Many of them are significantly um, negatively impacted in the last year. You know, do people want to touch the handles of a scooter or a shared bicycle? Do you want to get in an Uber or a Lyft or other variation, the same theme with a stranger, clean or otherwise? So the new patterns we had been learning have been disrupted. And I'm not sure when we will find the confidence to continue to explore those with the same gusto, um, aside from the bias of whether they're right or wrong, but with Mm -hmm. the same gusto as we were doing before. 
Thank you, Carrie. Before I ask Tom to agree or disagree, just a sidebar there. Uber and Lyft disrupted the taxi industry, the taxi medallion industry. And I have friends in New York who came here from other countries and invested. And you all know that many countries came with family legacy money or family scraped together savings and bought medallions and bought a lot of them or just a few of them. And Uber and Lyft came and drive your own car to work and your own car is your workplace, right? And do that whether those were good, bad, or ugly in terms of their payouts or whether they considered their their drivers employees or not. We know there were a lot of legal battles on that, but it not only disrupted, it destroyed. And I know people who held medallions and their income went from, oh, here's something I can live on in my retirement, no longer driving and leave to my family. And it's like, I can't even sell the damn thing. So there was a huge crash on that. So one industry burgeoning into a new direction, taking out the legacy of that industry and going, you're gone. Very, very interesting. I'm sorry for that interruption. Tom, love to hear your take on Carrie's comments on travel. Go ahead. I'll start with Carrie's comments, and then I'll, I'll also make a, a closing comment to your, your uh, uh, analogy. Sure. Um, okay. I think what you've seen with uh, NADA and even a, a recent McKinsey study um, those individuals who were not buying cars, the younger generation, had no interest in driving, um, who were the, you know, the Uber, uh, you know, passengers and Lyft passengers and really wanted to get into that structure, um, have changed their opinion. You know, they're, they're actually entering the purchase and lease, you know, process. And, and, and what was interesting was it was almost a double from 19 to 20 in regards to that uh, uh, geo actually purchasing vehicles last year. Um, a lot of these individuals had money. Um, a lot of individuals uh, didn't spend a lot of money on, on travel and entertainment and, and eating out last year. And, and you saw that rebound in the, in the uh, industry in the second, uh, started in the second, third and fourth quarter. And, and to the point where if you would have said, okay, 2020 fourth quarter, and you look at it year over year, it was very close to being almost a 19 level. So I expect 21 is going to change uh, and we're not going to, you know, we're going to get a rebound. 22 will be back to where we were, but I think it's new people entering the purchasing structure based upon having that fear. You know, is it, is it worth going out, et cetera? Now, interesting enough, I have a, a great uncle who just received his vaccination uh, middle of last week. And uh, he said, it was a, you know, get, get out of jail free card because uh, they had been in the house, et cetera. I, I received mine last Monday, so I'm a week into it. My, my son's already had two doses, and he's, he's done with his based upon being an EMT. Um, uh, I think there's going to be a change as we start to uh, increase the, the herd you know, immunity process. You're going to see people revert back to a previous time. Does that mean a complete reversal? Probably not. Continuum. There's going to be a swing change for, for people who made those purchases and bought those vehicles. Um, I think Carrie also mentioned the whole move to, to EV. Um, I think that's definitely there. You saw that with the announcements that GM made last week with, with Mary Barra. You saw that with uh, Jim Farley's announcements in regards to Ford and Ford's execution. Uh, you've seen that with the Europeans in regards to the move and, and the timeframes of those. So that, that trend is there. That trend is coming. That trend is going to continue to be it. On a previous show, on predictions, I, you know, I predicted a, a double of, uh, of EV vehicles this year. I, I think it might even be more than that. I think it might be closer to triple based upon how fast some of these vehicles are going to come out. Going back to your comment in regards to it, 
change is change. I mean, if you start looking mm-hmm. at things like the iPhone, the iPhone basically disenfranchised consumer electronics in, in everyday things that we don't no longer use. I mean, who goes out and buys an alarm clock? Who goes out now and <laughs> a lot of money on a watch? Now, you know, the old guys, yeah, we still have that. But, but, you know, you start looking at everything, you know, flashlights, um, you know, paper calendars, um, all of those things. And, you know, I think at one point in time, um, Jobs said something before uh, he passed that said, I think 21 electronic consumer products are now replaced by, by the phone. And I think today, you know, that was many, many years ago. I think today it's more like 40. You know, you're, you're not buying uh, a new camera. You're using your phone. Mm-hmm. You're not buying a, a new GPS. Mm-hmm. You're using your phone. And all of those things are driving a new technology change, which is not going to be any different than the technology change going into the vehicle. Again, it's going to take people to code it. It's going to take people to basically develop it. It's going to take people to integrate it. So there, there is a lot of trends you can see. Thank you very much, Tom. Very, very interesting comments. You're right. And disruption in so many forms has taken place. But I am telling you that they still sell beautiful paper calendars. And they're, they're by the <laughs> middle of January, they're on half price sale in all kinds of stores. The one that starts with H and ends with K that has their own label of everything. Yes. And you can see those. And uh, high-end watches, I know, are still, are, are they still a mark of I have arrived. We know that Regina King is doing Cadillac Escalade commercials, and she is now the the voice of the Escalade. It's not how you arrive. It's the journey of getting there and all of the wonderful perks in the Escalade. I'm thinking people can't even pay their rent and they're buying. Never mind. No, no, Tom, we've talked about this before. But, but my point is that... Um, there are people who still want some of those vestiges of, of elegance. Look at the beautiful calendar on my wall. Charities, right? Still sell those. I'm not going to harp on this too long. But I found my old Movado watch. Somebody gave it to me as a gift years ago. And I haven't had a battery in it in years. But I would wear it as a bracelet rather than as a timepiece because it's so beautiful. Let's leave that alone. Carrie, anything you want to say back to Tom? Because I'm ready to move on to one of his other statements. Carrie, you good? I just add to your comment on medallions, what's interesting as you mentioned that is anyone who's been to New York or seen it on taxi on TV, the the shield between the driver and the yes. passenger, frankly, now is probably much more of an invitation than many of the other vehicles that people are using instead of those taxis. So maybe they'll come back. You are right. And and my friends who had medallions used to go to rallies around City Hall in New York protesting, how can you let Uber do this to us? So every, times have changed. Times have changed. Tom, I'm going to go to your statement number two. You've touched on it in a couple ways, but let's refocus it on the skills for the new types of transportation. So your your statement is new skills needed in the industry will drive, pun intended, a new method for learning and retaining resources as the industry changes from ICE ICE to EV and AV. So let's do a deeper dive into workforce, which is our core topic here today. Go ahead, Tom. So, so the skills of building a combustion engine are different than the skills needed to do uh, an EV or even an AV. So you've got more technology, more software in it. Secondarily, there's a whole lot of systems that aren't in those vehicles. You know, an EV vehicle doesn't have a radiator. The EV vehicle doesn't have, a, you know, a an engine. It's got four. You know, each, each one of those wheels are going to be its own engine structure. Um, it's more replaceable. There's less moving parts. But you know, I think it all drives back to, to technology and the use of technology um, and, and the execution of that. I mean, there's 15,000 moving parts in the current uh, ICE 
uh, vehicle. There's eight, 15 in, in, in electrical. So they're not going to wear out as fast, but they're going to be interchangeable. They're going to be upgradable. You know, I think one of the statements I made in our previous show, um, Volkswagen made the announcement this past year on, on automotive uh, retail that uh, by the time they released the 22, a vehicle coming out would only be 50% available in regards to what was going to be. It, it was going to be additional software downloaded to it, additional capabilities downloaded to it as the, as the, uh, the customer drove that particular uh, vehicle. And so you had uh, an ability for capacity to change, et cetera. So the skills that we're really talking about here are, you know, really the high tech skills, the, the execution, you know, putting more into uh, the electronics and more into the gadgets. I made a reference uh, in another show about uh, the cars being the new, you know, the new iPhone, the new, the new, mm -hmm. uh, you know, smartphone. Um, People like that technology. I mean, the reason I bought my vehicle and sitting in, in my garage is because I like the technology <laughs> that was in it. I like the speed. I like the ability to go through it. We've talked about people not giving up the keys. And at this point in time, yep. I think it's also going to be a piece going through. But the industry is changing. Um, you see it. You see it with the, the way a new um, model gets put out. So today, um, an EV vehicle can be put out in about 18 months. You know, previously manufacturing took somewhere between three and five years when you talked about the, the engineering and then redoing the lines and getting everybody lined up, et cetera. Um, so if you see things like Lordstown coming up and, and being able to produce a vehicle in 12 months, you see Lucid and Karma being able to put something out in 18 months. Um, that is a change and that change is here. And you start to see those EV vehicles hit the road. Um, some of those are gonna be very nice vehicles. Some are gonna be very expensive vehicles. Um, and some are going to be very uh, affordable. I mean, the, the, I think the Lopestown truck is looking to be 60, you know, to, to on, on, a, uh, um, on the price tag. So I think what you'll see is a change of consumer uh, that will drive, and you'll see the resources that needed to, to build that also change over time. And I think Detroit won't be the center of, of automotive in North America going forth. I think it's going to be one of them. And you're going to have multiples other ones. You're going to have, you know, Scottsdale. You're going to have, uh, you know, somewhere in the uh, on the west coast, up and down the west coast. You have the transplants in in uh, the southeast. So there's going to be a lot more skills needed, diversity across the U.S. based upon where these vehicles are being produced. Thank you, Tom. Fascinating, Carrie. Let's get you to chime in on this. What do you think? What I'm curious about, and what comes to mind as Tom describes that, is what the maintenance of that is going to look like for the new buyer. And I look back at 2020 and how all of us became our own IT department and we all became our own production facility. And as you think about, you know, when I first drove a car, you learned how to change the fuses in the car, you know, along with the tire and put changing the oil and putting in gas and what have you, you learned how to, you know, deal with things that became invisible to the consumer. And I'm curious at what came to mind and I welcome Tom's feedback is, you know, will there be the same kind of plug and play of different elements of those vehicles or will we be completely reliant on, um, go, you know, do we, do we continue to go back to the dealer quote unquote? Um, because that, that relationship, if you look at, you know, the buying of the car, the maintenance related to the car, the dealership responsibility or, or the, the revenue related to that. Where do you see that happening? Because I think of it as a learner, you know, our, our capabilities as a technology consumer, we've become much more adept than we were, 
you know, you used to have to know how to code a computer. Now you just need to know how to turn on your phone. So I'm curious when you look at maintenance, how you think that will change and if we'll have the same kind of plug and play that we do with printer ink cartridges. So that's, huh? that's great. And it's actually part of one of my sales plays for the year is, uh, you know, customer care and, and execution and, and, and vehicle profitability. So as you start to think about those vehicles coming off, you know, you may have one motor versus four motors go out. So you bring it in, you basically pop off the wheel, you put the new motor on and off you go. So there's a, there is going to be a plug and play to it. I, do I see the consumer taking care of the car? No. I do see that the ownership of the vehicle is no longer an ownership. I do see it being a service. You drive it four years, you're done, you give it back. Well, guess what? The lifespan of that battery still got five more years on it. So what happens in regards to being able to take that vehicle, change it out, put a new skin on it, put a new structure on it, put new technology on it, and put it back on the road? So I see a lot of those things occurring where the, the, the user, the owner, the renter of the vehicle is, is, a, is a useful learner. I mean, they want to basically use it for a certain period of time and they want to get something else new. So I think you're not going to see, um, you know, a change overnight. You know, at this point in time, the parts um, you know, aftermarket, the gray market's still going to be out there. You know, how many uh, 1960, 1950, 1940 vehicles are still on the road? Gas isn't going away anytime soon either. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's going to be a change over time, but the question becomes, when does that basically, you know, hit the tilting point? So, yes, you're exactly right. You know, I'm no longer changing tires. You know, I made all three of my kids change their own tires the first time. So, they knew where the jack was. They knew what it was supposed to be, et cetera. You know, I changed my old one or two times ever, you know, in, in, in mine. So I think the, the direction of, of that is changing. And I think part of what I'm talking about in regards to customer uh, care and, and vehicle profitability is how do you optimize that, that vehicle? How do you optimize the profitability of that vehicle on the road? You know, today's vehicle sits in, the, in, your, in your driveway or in the parking lot, you know, some 80, 85% of the time. So you have mm-hmm. an asset, the most expensive asset you own, mm-hmm. you know, that's not being utilized. So the question becomes, what happens if you don't own it? What happens, you know, to somebody else? That does bring the whole conversation back into the previous topic in regards to, um, you know, is it clean? Is it safe, et cetera? But I think the, the, the customer for life, uh, you know, is, is definitely the change, the directional pieces are going to be out there. Uh, and you're going to see a tighter uh, relationship between uh, the ability to walk away from one dealer versus another. So I think it's customer for life and, and, and service is going to basically keep that relationship going. Thank you both. Interesting. It reminds me, I'm a, a Z driver. I'm on my fifth. It used to be the, I think I had the 280, I had the 300. Now I'm driving the, it's had the 350, 370. And I used to call around when I was on Long Island, I would go call different dealers and say, hey, we got a nice, maybe two-year-old used 350Z, 300Z. I want to come and see it. And I would make a list of all the places and I'd map out my route and I'd go visit them, right? And, and Or I'd get on their, their wait list, when I get a, a Z in in good shape, call this lady and she wants to come see it and she wants to buy it. Okay, I'll do a trade in. I'll pay cash for the balance, blah, blah, blah. So when I get here to Durham, I realize that my, my beautiful navy blue, midnight blue 350 is not going to be happy on the roads doing 80 miles an hour every day on 540 and 40 in Durham, North Carolina. And it was, it was a great car and it was still in good shape, but I just wasn't comfortable doing that kind of speed because in New York on the LIE, 
it's the world's longest parking lot, you know, so it's posted speed limit of 55 and you're lucky if you do 30 most of the time. So anyway, so I went online and started looking around and I found CarMax, Carfax, one of those. I found the car of my dreams I didn't know I was dreaming about. And I emailed the dealer and I said, I want to come and buy that car. I'm going to trade in another Z. Well, they didn't get back to me other than an auto reply, auto responder. And so I was not happy about that. I waited a day or two. I called. They said, oh, some lady walked in and bought that car yesterday. I said, wait a minute. But I responded as soon as the ad hit. I wanted that car. I'm sorry she beat you to a plot. We'll keep you in mind. Well, two weeks later, the same exact car landed a year newer at another dealer closer to my house, 20 minutes away. And I called them and I said, don't you dare. I emailed and I called, don't you dare sell that. I'm on my way. And I came and we haggled. And the next day I drove that car out with a big red bow on the hood. But I never in my wildest dreams, Carrie and Tom, would have dreamed that I was going to be car shopping on the web. And looking at cars and looking at panoramic views of everything on the car and then going to buy a car, that that to me is one of the critical changes. And I, Tom and Carrie, will always have keys to my car just because it's just so much fun to drive. Let's move on to one more topic. We have time. Carrie, I'm looking at statement number six. I'm going to read the whole statement, but the last line is where I want to go. The statement is necessity is the mother of reinvention. You move that around a little bit. Continues to be a driving force behind the reinvention of mobility. The trend of shared sources of mobility in form, shape, and size has more recently been refocused to, here's the point, green carbon-related priorities for some manufacturers. So what does this have to do with our changing world and our changing workforce? Carrie, go ahead. Um, I think it has a couple of things to do with things we've covered a little bit already. You know, when you look at GM and their prioritization around the EV space versus perhaps the broader mobility space, which was the decision, you know, me listening to the news, they've been, they had prioritized that for a while. So they happen to be well-placed for that. I think what's interesting when I consider that now though, is you look at the pictures of the world through 2019 and 2020 and the change from the pictures in India of 2019 and in 2020, where you can now see 10,000 miles to the Andes. And you look at the shift in, all of the climate that we've seen in the last year when nobody's doing rush hour driving and nobody's getting on planes, relatively speaking, to what we were doing for the prior 20 years. Mm-hmm. So even as Tom talks about the profitability of a vehicle, you know, cars that were sitting idle for 85% of the time are now probably sitting idle for 95% of the time because you don't even need to transport yourself from your home to your workspace and back. You're transporting yourself truly as a, as a pleasure and it's interesting, actually, back to Carla, where you began this discussion. I, when I was at the car conference with her, we were doing a, a session with some of the next generation, the diverse young talent coming into the industry. And one of the conversations on the future of cars was, to some degree, they will become like a horse. It will become a special thing for you to own and other aspects of it be, that you would share. And you know, I do think that the safety aspects um, of COVID have made us rethink shared mobility But when I look at what we need a vehicle to do, we can now have all of our, you know, the the degree of delivery. Um, So thinking about mobility more broadly, even than our own personal mobility, the volume of distribution and manufacturing that has been provided to us through the last mile of other mobility services of Amazon and and the last mile, which is actually where a lot of those Uber and Lyft drivers have gone to is getting things to our homes. We no longer even necessarily need to go to the store. Will we go to the store? 
Probably. That's a whole different discussion. But as you look at the experience that we've had in the last year, where we've seen the climate change in a very rapid fashion, the pressures and the demands of consumers are certainly what shape manufacturers. And I believe we are going to continue to push even harder to see an improvement in the climate because we saw it happen. It wasn't something we dreamed about. It was It's something we've experienced. Thank you, Carrie. Tom, what do you think? I, I agree. I think um, one of the interesting things, I started going to Shanghai um, when SGM was actually building their first big factory out in Pudong. And you could get into uh, the city and look up and see, you know, beautiful blue skies. Um, I think the per capita at that point in time was three vehicles per 1,000. Very, very, very light. Mm-hmm. Um, Second year I went back, um, it wasn't as blue. By the fifth year I went back, not only had Padang basically been completely industrialized in regards to all the suppliers and all the different car companies that come out, you no longer could sit in your hotel room and look across the street and see the next building. Mm. It was that bad. Um, As you start to think about what the uh, environmental impact has been over this year, in, in countries like China and India, and even, you know, the LA area. And you start to think about, you know, being able to, you know, sit in, in, in the hills of LA and see downtown versus just, you know, smog. It, it's, it's a change. And people have talked about climate. People have talked about things. EV vehicles are still very resource rich to basically produce. People haven't really looked at that yet. But when they start looking at it, the question is environmental impact for the EV build versus the EV run. Those things are going to have to be balanced. You know, to get to a zero emissions, get to a a negative emissions execution for these uh, car companies is going to be a a tough, uh, you know, time to to travel, a tough time to to basically achieve. I think the consumer, you know, is now buying the vehicle versus uh, having to be incentivized to basically go do it. So do I think the incentives of, of North America and Europe, et cetera, are going to start to go down? Absolutely. You know, I'm, I don't see an 8,000 or 10,000 tax credit going much longer than the next couple of years. But that change is going to happen. Uh, the consumer is seeing it. The, the, the activists are starting to see the changes to the, to, the, to the world and the impacts. And I think long and short, it's here. It's here to stay. Thank you very much. Good conversation. I'm really enjoying this. I'm sorry to say we only have five minutes left till the end of the show, but we've covered a lot. Let's go to our crystal ball predictions round, Tom. Madonna, I'm going to start with you. Why don't you take 90 seconds? You can squeeze it up to two minutes if you ha- if you really want to. And where do you predict this is going? Because our conversation is certainly fluid. We're talking about something that is in process, thriving in a changed world, the manufacturing workforce. The world is still changing and the workforce is still changing and mobility is still changing and everything is still in flux. So, Tom, where do you see this going? I don't not even going to ask you to predict by the end of 2021. That might be too near term. 2022, 23, 25 at the most. What do you think, Tom? Putting you on speaker view. Go ahead. I think the the direction we started with uh, skills and people and, and, and the quote from the song that Carrie brought forth, I think manufacturing has to get back to concrete, not sand, not salt. And how does it do that? You know, I think the predictions that uh, the human uh, interactive and the human uh, ability for a, an experience and to be appreciated in the workplace 
is something that's going to have to change. I think the, the execution for how someone feels valued and how someone is learning and what's going on to, to keep that person satisfied and, and trained within his, um, his skills and his job is, is definitely something that's got to change. I think the long-term execution of, of our educational system having to put out these technology-driven you know, uh, degrees to help with that and to drive the science and math and the computing that goes with it. Um, I think those are things that are, are starting to change. But, but as you start to think about, I mean, when I graduated uh, way back when, I won't tell you the time, you know, I had like 50 people that were in my, in my class with my degree of programming. And at this point in time, I look today and I go back and, you know, MIS is a, a you know, a bad word, you know, in, in organizations and degrees. So I think that's a different change. So I think it's the, it's how we deal with people. All the people that get involved, the interaction of those individuals is definitely, you know, one major piece. I think the second piece is customer and how is a customer going to be, you know, en enhanced with their experience in regards to buying, selling, owning, and driving their vehicles. That's also something that's got to change. And guess what? Those, those are two aren't a dichotomy of each other. There's a Venn diagram on there. And so the individuals who have the pride, want to do the work, want to be in the manufacturing that thinks it's, you know, the new sexy are going to be the ones driving those, those nice, interesting vehicles and are going to continue to drive that favoritism to it. So predictions, I think that's, you know, a trend that's there. Uh, I think it's a, it's a multi-year trend that has to be overcome for us to be successful and to continue to keep the auto manufacturing North America king, you know, beating its drum. Um, but I think it's, it's achievable. I think at this point in time, you know, hearing the truth, understanding the truth, and listening to the truth is I think something that's going to have to definitely be uh, looked at by leadership within the uh, industry. And speaking the truth, Carrie Brown, your predictions. Go ahead. I've got 90 seconds for you. Shoot. I would say a couple of things. From the consumer standpoint, I think we are going to teach the industry what we want. As you watch the patterns of our movements, you know, it's like taking that diagram or a video, a time-lapse video of a city and seeing the movements of people and how much the, the cars move and the people move. I think we will teach the manufacturers what we want as we go back to the hybrid workplace or don't go back to the hybrid workplace. And that will determine what kinds of modes of transport that we want uh, want to own, want to borrow, want to buy, want to share. And I think we will start to look at how to have, you know, perhaps community sharing where like the bubbles of friends who we hang out with now, we have bubbles of sharing with people we know versus strangers. In terms of the manufacturing itself, one of the things we haven't covered off on is I think there'll be more of a shift to dark manufacturing. I agree with Tom that there's going to need to be skills in order for that to come to life. But when you look at safety and you look at repeatability and you look at profitability, being able to actually have exactly what you need in a predictable way for manufacturers is just as important as it is for people. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you, Tom. I have so much enjoyed this conversation. I have to say that Ashwin Manapali is with us. He's in Zoom in the background here, enjoying the conversation as well. And I already said, you got to get these two back for another episode later this year. So articulate, so savvy. I love listening to the facts you both drop, just like you're talking about. I don't know, it's sunny out and you're just throwing all this wonderful stuff at us. Thank you so much. I want to do a shout out to our engineer extraordinary, calls himself my sidekick and he's deserved, he's earned it, Aaron Keller and the Business Channel team at 
at Voice America. Ashwin, thank you so much. And to also your co-sponsor of the series, Judy Cubis at SAP, for having faith and confidence in me to do another year with you. I am thrilled. I really am. So here's my call to action, everybody. And it's got a little twist, Carrie. This is different than what I used to do. What I used to do. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? My car is getting two months to the gallon. How's yours doing? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Tom Madonna at SAP, just like Carrie Brown at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Everybody wave bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.